0: okay i'm gonna start and uh you've seen the uh, manifesto right so we're gonna talk about your formative years first i don't know whether you want to do that I'm
1: not sure but whatever it is that you want to go through i'm down
0: okay so okay. so three two one and we're hey everyone welcome to the human pod Today we are going to talk about female empowerment, and to do that, I'm joined by the beautiful Sarah Anani. Is that how you pronounce it? Sarah Anani. Sarah Anani. I don't know how to pronounce your name, to be honest. You're saying it beautifully, and I think I've
1: got a great face the radio, so that no one
0: can see me. <laughs> Thank you, Rahmat. Okay. Uh, she's an ex-creative director, Trend strategy a all-round superwoman. Uh, I've known Sarah for years now, and uh, she has a very interesting life. Uh, you know, you you were born in Palestine, right?
1: Um, so I'm originally Palestinian, uh, but I'm born in Cyprus, so I oh. was part of the 1948 crew that had to leave. Uh-huh. So, um, born in Cyprus, grew up a little bit in Kuwait, moved to the UK, and then just kept moving around, because I think moving was part of my DNA.
0: I see, I see. <laughs> well, what happened um, yeah so today we're going to talk about you know her secrets of success and how does it take t- to become a strong independent and successful woman like Sarah Anani is today now <laughs> maybe that's too much pressure okay maybe not. but I think this is going to be an interesting talk so you're Palestinian this is kind of interesting because I'm from Indonesia and a lot of people are interested about Palestinian history I don't know whether you want to talk about that but how is it like to grow up in the Palestinian
1: well I've never been I don't judge me I've never been to Palestine to be honest so oh really okay what, what I do know about it is anything that I've been told from my family members or from the Palestinian community or from what I read on Palestine on the internet I guess. Um, I think if you're Palestinian, you're a ride or die Palestinian. It's part of what you do and who you are continuously. Um, I I would say I'm Mm pro-Palestine, but am I actively doing anything? Not really. Mm -hmm. I vocalise it, and I think that's an important thing to do, to claim who you are, and I would say that I'm definitely 100 Palestinian. Mm -hmm. But um, am I doing actively anything? No, and I think that's a shame on me Mm-hmm. Which makes me less of a powerful woman because I should actually go back to my roots. So before COVID, I was actually planning to go to a trip to Palestine um, mm-hmm. with the company that takes you all around, like Tel Aviv and, and also like around Ramallah and then uh, into the Gaza Strip.
2: But the
1: COVID situation, um, I wasn't able. To, it was supposed to be in May actually, so that's a bit of a shame.
0: Uh, okay, but, but if you have Israel stamp on your passport. You cannot go back to Qatar, right? Is that correct?
1: So from what I know is that you can request it to be stamped on a separate piece of paper. Uh, But what I'm interested in is why are uh, are you interested in Palestine?
0: Indonesia, where probably 80% of the entire population are Muslims, it's kind of hard to avoid all the conversations surrounding Israeli-Palestinian conflicts. There were a lot of opinions, there was a lot of arguments about it. Even sometimes my dad argued about that. And if you turn on the news, you see how the Israeli treats the Palestinian and how the Palestinian lives inside their refugee camp. And um, but I never knew how it feels like to live there. And growing up, you know, I try to learn more about these conflicts uh, from YouTube, from books, from documentaries. Um, but I again, I've never been to Tel Aviv. I never been to you know the Gaza Strip and things like that and never spoken to anybody from Israel and I'm always curious how it feels like to grow up there uh you know amongst all the rebels all the hatreds the animosity and things like that
1: no I'm with you I think like getting first-hand insights by going there is the most important thing because again I'm a generation that's part of the dysphoria, right? So what I hear is what I hear from local communities on what's happening again, on what's on the internet. But I think also with social media, it really gives you direct access to what's happening live at that moment in time. I remember Twitter um, basically blowing up because of certain instances that happened in the Gaza Strip. And now like, there's a lot of um, Instagram profiles where they showcase exactly what's happening in those locations. So I don't think there's any more hiding, but obviously there is like espionage online. So I'm sure they kind of drown out some of the noise that Palestinians are trying to make.
0: I see, I see.
1: But I think being Muslim at this time is a very difficult time anyway. And what I've just seen recently is there's a whole movement of, um, they're called Generation M, I think, Generation Muslim, where they're rewriting the narrative of Muslims. And I think Indonesia is really, be
2: honest. Mm-hmm.
1: We do a bit of research and that's really quite interesting. So they're redefining what modest fashion is, what it is to be Muslim, what it mm-hmm. is to be a Muslim woman on top of it. So yeah. I think that's an interesting way of us owning our own narrative in a world where they're trying to dictate, or the West is trying to dictate what Arabs or Muslims or Indonesians or whoever's a little bit different than what they are
0: mm-hmm. are, that Um... I think it's true, due to the formation of social media around the world, we've seen a lot of shift uh, within the um, Muslim worlds, especially the younger generations, uh, from the way they dress uh, to the way they think, Um, although I would like to uh, avoid any religious topic at the moment, hmm, okay, and then let's go to the next topic. So back to Sarah Anani again. Um, so you were born in Cyprus. Uh, this, do you have any stories around Cyprus?
1: Cyprus so my granddad worked for the British Army, British Army. Army. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Uh, so we, I was born there because you could back in the day get the passport mm-hmm. uh, the of a British base. So they made sure I was born in a British base, so I don't suffer the consequences of having travel documents. It was a very strategic move, but my grandma was living in Cyprus anyway. He owned a shipping agent that would ship goods um, around the Middle East, like vegetables and fruits. Oh, wow. Um, And then, um, I mean, he built himself up. He was a self-made man. They lost everything when they had to leave Palestine. Uh So... um, I was actually there and so I was born there but I was I grew up in Kuwait because my dad worked in Kuwait so we'd go there every summer so my connection was to go see my grandparents uh, but um just before the Gulf fall, my dad seems to have this really strange sixth sense whenever something's about to strike and he goes you know what we need to go to the UK and so we packed up and they, they actually sent me there first with my sister and who were in a boarding uh, school for girls um not speaking any and how old
0: were you back then
1: I was seven
0: seven okay
1: It was quite frightening, um, I think. I mean, now looking back at it, it was frightening. Um, With a seven-year-old trying to fit into a completely new culture, not speaking the language, not understanding what's going on because you don't speak the language. Um, And then being in a boarding school without your family and where you've been with them so closely for all these years. Remember, like Middle Eastern culture is about families being together all the time regardless of whether they're they're clean or not. So being there was... um, I think it was a huge culture shock, but you have to adapt pretty quickly. And I think as a child, I I adapted pretty quickly. I had to learn the language. My sister, I think, struggled a little bit more. Um, So I think as a girl, just turning into womanhood, it's a little bit different than a child at seven. It impacted my informative years, but I think it may have impacted her just a little bit more. Um, What else happened there? I was trying to to blend in. I was the only Muslim person in a... Girls, blonde haired, blue eyed school um, where I had to attend like church and be in the choir. And I'm like trying to explain that I'm Muslim and they're trying to convert me every single week. Really? His name. But yeah, it was like this continuous badge of we want to make you white. And I'm like going, I know I look like technically I am, but like, I'm Muslim <laughs> Arab. And I, 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 I quite enjoy it. So that was like really honed into me uh-huh. as a young, I'm a Palestinian Arab.
0: Muslim.
1: Uh, I no away from and I think that's what made me, regardless of I've traveled to Palestine, still really connect with being an Arab and wanting to come back to the Middle East, which brings me to then coming to Dubai and then working in Dubai because I really wanted to connect with my roots, right? So okay. that was another move that I had to make so I can get a better understanding of who I am and what I'm about. So obviously working in Palestine, you can do it but I think it was better decision to go to a country where you know you're able to build a career out of it so I think Dubai was a good move back in 2005 where I met you I think I met you in 2008
0: no? 2008 I don't remember but yeah, yeah, it was in Leo Bernard, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's know what, a genius really. I no, no. like, get it done. You want it, I'll get it done.
0: <laughs> so so you so you spend most of your time in London, basically, right?
1: Well, you could say that up until the age of 25. But now age of 25?
0: That's so, yeah. when I was
1: 25. So from 7 to
0: 25, I was in the 7 year. to 25. Huh.
1: And then from 25, 25 to... To let's say 37, uh-huh. still in the East in Qatar, and then I had my little episode of wanting to go to LA to see what the Americas have. Yeah, Amer- then- <laughs> yeah <you remember> that. <laughs> America is a different <laughs>
0: story, right? So, yeah, let's <laughs>
1: we'll get into America. Let's stick
0: with the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> let's stick to the I am kind of interested uh, with London, to be honest. Uh, so, but well, before we speak with you know, other part of the world. Uh, so how is London? Like, do you have, do use you, you cyber-running discriminations? What sort of make you, you in London? Is there any story, in, interesting story there or is sort of like a smooth scaling there? Life is pretty think, good.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I can get away with being a multitude of nationalities. I did see racism towards obviously Pakistanis and Indians in the UK, but I never personally suffered from that. Mm. Um in my area, so you will not know Peterborough, but if anyone is listening and knows Peterborough, it's like the worst city in the UK. Been... Uh... It wasn't that back in the day, but now it is. But um, like, we were the first Arab Muslims there. Um, you oh, know, really? School. Um, my mum was wearing hijab. So we, I think my mum faced a lot of racism. To be honest, I looking back at it now, she definitely did, which may have impacted me slightly, but not as much as obviously impacted her. That um, not it's not like the racism that we see now, where they're pulling the veils off or throwing acid at you, but it's more like mm. those looks that you get walking down the street. It's like, what is that? Who is that? Why is she not wearing? Because my mum never wore a black headscarf. She wore a white headscarf with a little brooch on the side. She was quite, you know, imaginative with her. With her clothes, I mean, if she was alive now, I think she'd be an influencer with her style, to be honest. She's like really out. Um, but in London, I never personally faced anything, anything dramatic. I would get asked questions around Ramadan, like that you always do. Or like, oh, really? where are you from? Where is Palestine? Is it Israel? Um, where is it? Is it even a country? And I'm like, okay, explaining It's educational, I think. The record it was smooth sailing now on the other hand coming to the middle east uh, you think i'd be really accepted
0: wouldn't you yeah that was kind of surprising considering your background because you were educated in london you have an arabic roots you have you you, you have a profound understanding of arabic culture you speak Arabic very fluently you speak english with a british accent if i if i may add um, combining all your traits together i think well that's what i thought initially that you had a really unique selling point could you elaborate just a little bit what happened
1: there with my people and they're going to just embrace me as mm. one of them and at the age of 25 so mm-hmm. first of all i was 25 and i'm not just like hamming myself up but i was a creative director at 25 so it's a pretty young age to be a creative director so mm-hmm. it's a woman in power 25,
0: with a team. This was in London. This was, this was in where? Dubai. In Dubai, okay. okay.
1: Where I met you, right? <laughs> but I met you a bit older. Yeah, I think, yeah, think
0: you are a bit older. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, so, yeah, the first interactions I had, it's like, who do you think you are? Like, just because you're an Arab with a British accent doesn't mean that you're, like, better than us. And the <laughs> um, even though, these kind of interactions were happening every single day. So first of all i'm trying to just like identify with them create some sort of empathy connect on top of that like i'm a woman so there's a struggle there with men trying to understand like what my role is plus i'm like five foot three plus i look like a kid half the time so um they just weren't having it it was really difficult trying to build myself up and my role as a female working in a very male dominated advertising environment to say look, this is what I know, this is what I can give you, and I know I can achieve it. Um, you just had a lot of blocks of people not believing in you at that moment in time. After a while, obviously, things smoothed out, but it was just very, um, it was very daunting at the beginning, I think. Also, like, I've never had a leadership role experience, so being in there my first time, I'm trying to, like, groom a team or, like, working closely with them and growing them, growing myself, but you've got all these obstacles of people just... I think they being, is it racist? Can they be racist if they're like from the same side as you? I have no clue. But they weren't very accepting, put it that way. Um, and I think also just like, it's that men situation, which I think is great to have men working with you because they add a lot of knowledge and diversity. But it was also me learning about myself and where I stood around men and like how subservient I was. Because I did come from an Eastern family where we are quite subservient. Okay. No, but then it comes to a point where you think, no, I need to have my own voice here. But I didn't realize that until I moved out of the agency environment and went into the client side. Mm. You need to have a voice there, which it was even more male dominated, I guess. Working in Parker was extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. Oh, okay. Um, um, you get to learn a lot about yourself working with men. But what you do get to learn about yourself is when you come out of the Middle Eastern environment and you see what everybody else is doing, right? Okay, so let's okay. go back to the U.S.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: See women doing so much for women, but are they really doing so much for women? Some are, some aren't, some are still competing with each other. But you see how much they're doing and you think, okay, now me coming back into the Middle East there's so much that can be done for women. And my eyes weren't opened up until I had to go out to come back in. Does that make
0: sense? I think that made some sense. And also you brought up a pretty interesting point there that we can delve into. You mentioned about how the United States is far more spirit than the Middle East in terms of gender equalities. But if you see the movement, which is happening since the 1900s, you sort of can't relatively... um, evaluates why that happens in the united states and why it's happening it's you know relatively smoothly uh, 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 compared to the rest of the world because if you see the uh, culture background that the united states you know there are more freedom to express their opinion without the fear of having bad consequences but despite all these struggles um, and progressions Gender inequality still continues to persist in many forms, right, including disparity in women political representations and pay gap. What I'm trying to say here is like in the Middle East, the as we all know, maybe this is this is I'm biasing here because I live in in the Middle East for four years. Um, The culture is heavily male dominated and there are last freedoms that we can that, that people can do there uh, things are more censored uh even the internet what i'm trying to say here is do you think the middle east can reach um the the same female equality that the united states have at the moment
1: no i think definitely there is room for it because in qatar for example you've got her excellency sheikh Mayasa who is the chairperson for qatar museums you've got mm. sheikh Hamada, who has her own stuff going as well. We've got a lot of powerful women. I'm talking about the ones in between, right? So mm. we're not at that table yet. We're not fully at that table. Like, in my agency, I am the only female. Oh, <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. So now with all the um, conference calls that we have, I just long for a female face. So, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I definitely long for it. because, like. It's just nice to have a woman on the team. I think she adds different perspective. Right. And I think about all the let's go back to our actual industry advertising and we're talking about um, narratives and how Muslims can recreate their narratives. If you look at the narrative of Middle Eastern women, we're still stuck in the 1950s when it comes to advertising. We are still washing your whites and hanging them up to dry. Like nothing's changed. It's like women are still stuck in a void, but the reality is no, we're working we're working hard, we are getting a seat at some tables, we are getting as much of a salary as some other men do, but we're still oh. in the media. Some, I'm not saying um. some, <laughs> some, but it's still a very small percentage. I don't have the stats, we can get the stats if you need. But um, the whole point of it is that I think we work in an industry where we can also impact the narrative of how women are perceived in the Middle East and also just how the Middle East is perceived in general. So when we think about the kind of communication we put out, and I say this to the team, it's like, can we reconsider what we're doing? Because every piece of advertising we put out is seen by the world, right? So how can we rewrite our narratives as Arabs, as Muslims, through these brands? I think that's a great problem to have, and it's a great platform. It's paid media; it's paid by the client, but you're also helping change perception. And if we can do it on a female perspective, even better.
0: That's true. Are you starting to see that change? Change though?
1: No, not, not yet. yet. <laughs> I think I think brands are generally disconnected um, from their audiences. I, I think see. We Cultural trends versus start cultural trends. Yeah. Right, so until we're open to being a little bit more risque, then um, it might just happen. But I think you know any client worth its salt, you know they would they would use their brands as a platform to reimagine what the Middle East looks like.
0: Yes, yes, I see. And the funny thing that you mentioned it. So people have these bloated. Uh, perception about J- Japan, right? Japan is an industrial nation,s and then industrial nations where everybody do their biddings using robots. But still, the fundamental uh, thing happens in terms of gender inequalities. So there was this one unique case where a medical university rejected some of their female students, and their logical thinking was: female, when they grew up, they're not going to become a breadwinner, so having a medical degree is going to be a waste, and instead of giving that opportunity to the uh female students they would rather to give these um opportunities to the male students so these sort of cases where male and female are considered higher male higher level uh it's happening pretty heavily in, in in around southeast asia or Asia.
1: yeah i think um like every region is really trying it's best to push them into the forefront. There's some funds that support them. There's some government initiatives that support them. I think women need to do more for themselves. It's not going to be, nothing's ever handed to you. Hmm. But a work for it. The same as the Americans, they had to work for it. But imagine doing a protest. All right, now can you do it in Japan? Can you do a protest in Japan? I have no clue.
0: Yeah, I think Japanese people can protest, but I don't know whether they can protest to the extent how the... American people protest, you know, with all the yelling and aggressive and burning all the tires and things like that. And it's funny thing that you mentioned it again. uh, There was this thing that I would like to ask you your opinion about. So there was this one anecdotal stories that happened in my office just a few months back. So one of our clients came to us. Uh, She was from the United States, obviously. And she was explaining about how um the female movement happened in 1970s in, in San Francisco where women uh, demanded to be treated as equal when it comes to um, exposing their chest so because of this there was there was a lot of women just you know yelling and then screaming uh, on top of their long uh, showing their bras and burning their bras and then the response that came from you know uh the the, the japanese counterparts they say is well in japan uh, uh, women t- don't want to do that they would just try to do it um so what i the, the, the key takeaway that i took from here is that um equality means different things depending on the individual, depending on the region, depending on the culture background. Um, The expectation that came from the um, United States women probably different than the expectation that the Japanese women wanted. So another anecdotal story that I have, one of my friends she wear hijab right and a lot of she said a lot of her friends from uh, Europe or United States says that whether she was being cursed or she felt oppressed because of she wear the hijab. And of course, obviously, um, the answer is not. She was very comfortable with wearing hijab and she couldn't think any other way of representing herself in the public. Um, what I'm trying to say is, based on that, I think that equality female equality means different things to different women. What do you think about that?
1: I think like each country has its own path to what female equality means. Mm I wouldn't say it's equality, right? So if the Americans want to take off their bras and burn them, fine, I think Mm -hmm. Japan has its own way of doing it and the Middle East will have its own way of doing it. I don't think there's one formula to basically state what equality means. So each country will also have its own version of mm-hmm. what equality means, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we'll ever understand the feeling of a woman being, and I think that for me it's mainly just basic rights.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but for me, let's say it's in the, in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. That feeling where you do feel marginalized. And I can't explain uh, that feeling. <laughs> I can't explain a feeling feeling that you get right it's like why can you explain love you can't explain love you just it's a feeling that you have Uh, so I think we just um we each each region or each country or each person just needs to carve out what that means for them versus trying to emulate what America does because that's that's the western way of doing it fine that's how they feel about it they want to approach it that way great and I, I think they're doing a great job they really are moving strides to be able to get that seat at the table or to get more, more government support in certain areas. Like I think they have a lot more clauses and a lot more laws around how they, how they should be interacting or behaving. And I think in the Middle East it's something completely different, right? (laughs) So driving or for example, being able to travel out of the country without a mahram or all of the other stuff. So they've got their own little battles. Each country has its own little battles. So I think, as a community in each country, you've got to decide what that equality or freedom mm. is. Mm. Women's rights is about freedom. Mm. Really. But what kind of freedom are you? Yeah, what kind of freedom? For? That's yeah. sort of And I can't I can't answer that for any other country. I can answer it for myself. Um, but I can't answer it for other people. So yeah. It's tough. I can't explain that, you have to feel it mm-hmm. and I can't give you that feeling mm-hmm. unless we're in a movie and then you're in my body and then you'd experience that.
0: That's true. <laughs> hmm, that's pretty interesting. So talking about empathy, um, I remember one video about Neil grass size you can look it up on YouTube. Um, so he was asked by one of his uh, female audience. And the female audience basically says that why there was this discriminations uh, amongst female when it comes to um, being a scientist because there was uh, a lack of female scientists within the communities and the answer was by Neil deGrasse and says well I cannot feel the way you felt uh, because she's not, uh, he's not a female obviously but he knows how he being discriminated feels like because he was black all all of his life which is pretty f- a funny anecdote and to expand it to that i also can sort of can feel how you've felt because all my life i'm an indonesian and indonesian is not famous at least uh back in my days uh, for having an advanced countries having an advanced workers, we are uh, we are famous at and especially in the Middle East for a country that turned servants, uh, low level workers, uh, to the Middle East, and because of that, of course, um, I know that a lot that, that there were a lot of people who looked down on me or or me just because of my. Background, my nationality is.
1: I'm sure you do. Like, I, I I feel what you're feeling because mm. I see what you feel. Like I see it. <laughs> I feel what you feel. So yeah, some sort of discrimination, in some sort of way. And I think, you know, it's it's important to check yourself. Check yourself. i Am I actually making someone feel like they're lesser than me? How can I make them feel like they're equal? I think it's everybody's yeah. role.
0: So, do women and men need to be equal, or do they have to serve different purposes and be on different positions and sort of complete the harmony by contributing to each other?
1: Well, I feel this is a very fluid question. Uh-huh. Nothing should be black or white. Yes, that's true. That's true. (laughs) That individual, what they believe equality is. So, equality in a household, some people might say, um, I don't know, like everybody has their own reason of what equality is. Like, mine isn't right. I don't have two children. But let's say um, at work, I'd like maybe I just want a little bit more equality. Maybe I want to be considered for a higher role. Am I even considered for higher roles? I have no clue. Not that I am, but I'm just gonna give you just examples. Um I can't explain it, but I think it's just you've got to design your own meaning. So I'm not I'm not into in like it needs to be this or it needs to be that or it must be that. It's whatever that person needs to have, and then let's see what the common denominators are and let's work on it. What is currently blocking you from creating that freedom around you? And is it something that is a, a mass problem? Is everyone else feeling the same? Or is it just you and a few others, right? And then we can work around that and maybe it's going to impact legislations. Maybe it's just mm. gonna the way that you react to stuff.
0: Oh, legislation, yeah.
1: There's just so many different variables to this. Uh, um, that's true.
0: That's true. That's true. I wonder if the humanity will one day reach an equilibrium where everybody feels, yes, I am equal. I'm free. I don't have any more demands. This is it. Um, I wonder if f- equalities fluctuates uh, depending on the time, depending on the environment, depending on your cultural background. Um, so for instance, United States, I don't know whether if you heard about the anti-max movement, uh, with all the freedom that I have, all the freedom to express themselves, still, uh, there are certain groups that, that felt that they were oppressed. Ego. Ego, that's it. <laughs> you
1: need, to let go, of you need to let go of ego and who's right and who's wrong and who's above and who's below. Mm. You see yourself as being fully connected. uh uh-huh very like mumbo-jumbo, you know, like like he was. It's genuine ego. You just need to step it down a little bit. I think like we're one of the worst creatures on this planet, to be honest, sometimes. The things that we do to each other is just absurd. (laughs) Yeah, I think if you just drop it down a level, connect with yourself, connect with your spirits or God or whatever it is that you want Mm -hmm. to connect with, just like really check in and just say, look, what am I contributing to the world? How am I impacting And I don't think it's going to happen on a mass level. It's going to impact on like happen on an individual level. I'm not about, I mean, mass change happens when just one at a time a person changes. Right. So if you're able to spread that message of like, you know, being consciously aware of how you impact others and how others impact you, and then you're able to take steps to like check in with yourself and your ego, and just adjust that. That might be a good start. I don't think you can force it. I think you can see the riots in the U.S. You can't force it. Things are still going to happen the way that they are until people check in with who they are versus what everyone else is doing. So, yeah, I think it's just personal growth. And that's why you've got some countries that are much more at peace with each other than countries like America, where it's like we do it as a mass. Sometimes just work on yourself.
0: That's true. So a lot of people say that Sweden or Denmark... In terms of of uh, gender equality, is better than any other countries in the world. I've never been there, so have you been there? To Sweden, I, really I guess. because... Say again.
1: I really want to go. <laughs> ben Dixon. Say again. You should do an interview, with Caroline Ben Dixon.
0: Caroline Ben Dixon, who's that?
1: You should do an interview. With her. Oh really? I love her. She's in Copenhagen. She actually messaged me the other day. Oh hi.
2: really? <laughs> I still need to I practice, think,
1: though. <laughs> she's so calm and collected. I love her. Like, I feel like they're just on another level. They're just okay, on another yeah. They <laughs> have transcended beyond themselves.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. Connect if you can connect me with her. That will be great.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that's really interesting. So, so you said. Also, you mentioned that you said Kata um, is sort of like the worst struggle that you. Ha- have ever experienced? Um, do you have any story around that?
1: The <laughs> worst struggle, God, the worst struggle that I've, I think it was my own internal struggle. So it's oh, not okay. um, again, I, I don't look at the situation as it's impacting like that's the problem. It's actually half the time it's me and how I react to stuff. Uh, so I think I stayed in the middle is just a little bit too long for what I needed, and that's why I got out. Mm-hmm. I think there were some learnings that I did learn. So like, like I was saying to you working in telco was a bit of a struggle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it was working with men. I think, um, I mean, yeah, I had a few instances there that were really uncomfortable. And I think looking back at it, because I was, I was young still. I <laughs> everyone, was so, you know, I'm just going to just leave and not discuss it. You know, versus like you know what, I'm going to call you out and just discuss it. <sighs> so I think I've learned a lot, and now I'm less tolerant. And I think maybe some men find it quite aggressive because of this, but I'm less tolerant of people just. Um, I don't know how to explain it? Putting you in that position, like I will call you out straight away. I won't be shy about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Versus years ago, and I think it's not about the Me Too movement. I think there's so much inside me that just wants to liberate itself. And I think that's the freedom part, which is like, don't try it again. And I'm talking around the topic, because it's just easier And you're thinking, what is she talking about? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was one of the biggest challenges. And I think after that, it was just about redefining myself. I think what I've learned about in life is that you have to try different things to see what works and what fits for you. So I was a creative director. I was a user experience director Um, I was a marketing director and then I had my own company and now I'm like a strategy person so I think with me what Cutter offered me was a variety of different experiences that were not easy to handle Hmm. but yet I chose to handle them Um, and now I'm back to handle some more I guess Hmm.
2: it's
1: like full circle but I think it's important to keep trying different things if something's not working for you. I
0: see, I see, I see.
1: kind of manoeuvred topics. I've gone to a completely different direction, and the direction that I'm going to don't go, be afraid to change careers like I have. <laughs> I like to try different things, yeah? It's not about getting to that top, top C or title. For me, it's just mm. learning. I love learning. Yeah, nice yeah. Long,
0: sure. yeah, yeah. I think what you're trying to say is finding yourself. It's a really long and arduous journey. I guess that's why you move from A yeah. to B to C, and then sort of trying to judge what is, is this right, is this wrong, sort of like that. That's why you move around, right? Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah. I would say I am my own prototype. Mm. I was a product. I will just be trying different things to see what I'm enjoying. And on the way you get to learn so much you get to grow as a person versus being someone that's fixed and saying like, I'm going to be an executive creative director or regional creative director. I think I reached a good role at a very young age. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't know what to do after that. So I just tried different things, I guess. So I think it's really important to experiment. And I think what helped with that was my informative years where I, um, I had to adapt really quickly and learn new things. And try new things, and feel unstable because it's part of who I am. I think instability—I enjoy it. Stability. <laughs> like, oh God, next?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Everybody, it's it's yeah, it's it's a life journey. I think is in it. So you did become a female creative director in the Middle East when you were, you were very young, and I don't think a lot of female. Uh, especially in the Middle East can't reach to that certain point. How did you get your that opportunities?
1: How did I get that job? It was by the grace of another female.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's really
1: nice. Another lady you should interview is for you to share. Ladies lift each other up always. She basically interviewed me and said, would you like to join us? And I did. I don't know if I would have got the same opportunity from a man who would believe in a 25-year-old so I have no clue maybe I'm saying something wrong but she definitely gave me the opportunity and I moved across and uh, yeah I think I'm a, I was still a very hard worker I work really hard and mm, I make sure that I bring people up with me I'm not a solo I'm mean, you remember am I a solo act no I feel like I, I work collaboratively mm, yes uh, I think that's important when you're working in a creative environment Don't don't be so egotistical that you think you are be in the end, or no, you are nothing without your team, you are nothing without the people around you. Mm-hmm. So, make sure that you give them that equality and that space, and to liberate them and to build them up as individuals.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're standing you on been, you
1: know, if you felt that it could be not, you could be thinking, Sorry, you're definitely not like that you're
0: <laughs> <liking that." Yeah. laughs> no, but no, you were great, Sarah, to be honest. And then, uh, but I felt that you were you know trying to adjust and you're trying to sort of. Um, doing an A/B test, if I if I may say so, yeah. you know, you, you're trying to see if this if I'm doing the right way. But then again, there's you know, apart on top of that, there's a lot of struggle that you're doing as well. You know, maybe your personal life and things like that, so sort of, I can feel like that. Um, but yeah, you came out really great. Not sure what about, um, what sort of. So I have a follow up questions in regard to that. So what do you think changed when it's compared Sarah when she was 25 years old with the Sarah right now?
1: Oh God, so this is it. I think this is my crunch point. Before I believe when I was at 25, I would expect everyone to work at the same, with the same ethics as me, mm-hmm. which means before seven, you need to put in your grind, you need to make things, excellent and perfect. I, mm-hmm. didn't get, I didn't get that job by being sloppy, put it that way. Mm-hmm. So my expectation was the same for my team and I burnt a lot of people out. I burnt myself out 100%. <laughs> I burnt my team out. I know, I remember just like some of you, like, just in pain. And I was just like, <laughs> why are you struggling? We need to keep going. We're not done yet. This needs to be like, we win this sport. And I would like just be a slave forever. And now looking back at it, like no, you don't. You just need to live your life. I'm like, yeah, you know, just do the best that you can. So, well, I have a pretty different approach to helping people to get to excellence versus like being a slave driver. Put it that way.
0: <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that bad to be honest. I mean, compared to Japan, Japan people here work really hard. I mean, sometimes we have meeting at two o'clock in the morning, something like that, and also yeah. on during the weekends, not sleeping. You know, forty-eight hours. I once had a meeting in, the, in, in Jakarta. So it was like one two days trip. Go back there, have a meeting for two hours in a row, went back to Japan. And that was normal in, 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 in Tokyo. But yeah, it was really great uh, w- 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 when I was working with you.
1: Like Tokyo was like another level I feel. Like I feel because everyone's culturally ingrained in working super hard you feel like you're yeah. happy. Whilst well, so I feel in the Middle East, it's like I was making you. It was different. It's not <laughs> like a, a flow. Right? The flow of working 24-7, that's what everybody else's energy is. Uh, just, I feel like it's giving you into, you need to stay okay? mm. And you need to finish that stuff off and do it again if you need to. I think it's a different method.
0: I see, I see. That's pretty interesting. So let's go back Oh, Sorry, let's um, get back to the um, your startup days when you go to LA, when you went to LA. What happened there?
1: My <laughs> right, LA startup days?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so listen, basically I love ideas and I love advertising, mm. but I feel like advertising is just like the sugar coating to what the actual thing is, right? Mm. So I believe in creating great products and that's always been my ethos. I graduated mm. from a product design course, not from a marketing course. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So great product design is ingrained in me, which is why I moved away from agencies in the first place, because I could impact a product level working in telecommunication, um, or working in museums, for example. So when I went there, I just thought I really want to dive in and just to understand the startup culture. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, it's a different breed. Animals. Complete animals. I loved it. They're like Everyone is just focused on just building their image and just building money and an empire. And they will do anything for it. It is like Dynasty on Netflix. I don't know if you've watched it yet, but I've just been addicted to that show. I think I've got back three more episodes left. But the point is, is that they are so disciplined at wanting to get where they need to get to that they will stop at nothing. So imagine being in a community in LA and also San Francisco, where that's what everybody wants to do. Everybody wants, mm-hmm. mm. Everybody wants to have a Everybody wants to be the first. I don't know X Y Z. Everybody wants to be a billionaire. Everybody wants to be famous. Mm. Um, and I'm from a culture where you are taking a backseat. It's not about you. It's about who you're serving. Okay, so I'm a servant leader. I'm also servicing people half the time. Um, it's not about my needs. It's about your needs. In an environment where it's always about me, 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 me. me obviously, there's a clash because I was just giving and giving and giving and giving and just not getting anything back in return. So at one point I had to click and say, you know what, I just do my own thing. And I think I learned a lot about grit and I learned Uh a lot about um, just tenacity. Um, I worked with some great startups. So helping some great startups launch one in Sephora. Another one is an art platform. Really great products, really great work um, and a few other startups here and there. and then I also, I my, my startup was a consultancy to support the startups, but I also did, um, did have my own startup, which was about uh, collaborative work and creating collaborative spaces um, virtually and in real to work together. So creating like virtual teams to deliver on stuff, um, which I feel like might be like the future of work anyway with COVID. Mm. So I feel like with... People being released from work and just having more of a bigger freelance economy we're going to be tucking into freelancers not just as individuals but as team l- lancing as teams so i feel like this might be the right time to launch it anyway the, back, the point is is that i never launched it it was just like it got to a point i got the investment deck ready and then i need to get out of la which is lucky because there's riots today
0: yeah, yeah so I like, riots that's right today
1: um, I mean, it's not an easy city If you don't have family there I guess
0: Oh really? So I have? Mm.
1: Yeah, I would say like the Middle East is a very loving environment Regardless of how you're treated Like you do for like, oh. LA Cutthroat.
2: Oh really? Mm. Cutthroat.
1: I don't know if you felt it I met you there so I don't know if you felt the energy that I was feeling
0: Well I've met I don't know Maybe I just spent like a few weeks there uh, but I remember one story that well, one of my friends told me uh, during the um, uh, economic crisis after the Lehman Brothers, I think. So everybody was uh, piling up guns because <laughs> that uh, the revolution is going to come. and then I think it happens again uh, during the COVID nineteen era. So there was, there was a lot of discrimination uh, against Asian as well. It, which is when I heard that story, it's like so crazy because that never happens in either japan dubai or indonesia people get really angry but they're not going to shoot shoot everybody just because (laughs) um yes that that was sorry
1: yeah i think um like living in different countries different continents you get to learn different cultures you get to see different things and you tend to like curate them things that you want to bring back with you things that you want to leave behind things that you think other cultures should be exploring and experiencing. And I think that's the beauty of being able to travel and having that luxury to be able to see different things. That's why I think travelers do add a lot of value because they're like the mini explorers that say, Oh, I went there and I learned this and they bring that back to the country that they went to. Right. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I feel like we need to have more of that, like that cross cultural pollination. Um, where you able to bring in the best stuff? I mean, we don't know what the best stuff is, like because we could be causing damage, but <laughs> the theory, I think that you're bringing the best stuff.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: Another area that I love to talk about. Yeah, sure, we
0: can have another session.
1: <laughs> that te- technology and how is it badly designed? Mm-mm. Are we designing an apocalypse is my question. Say again? Are we designing an apocalypse? Maybe, maybe not. Oh...
0: Yeah. Oh, I see. So you're saying technology is bad for you. The you right, I don't
1: know. It could be. I think like technology is moving so fast that we haven't put any um, systems around it, or frameworks, or legislations, and we're trying to catch up with it versus it trying to catch up with the mm. way that we design our society. It's uh. designing our society for us.
0: So you know, Ted Kaczynski, right? Do you know Bomber? Uh, you can find his series on Netflix. I recommend you to watch it. So. He was a former mathematic professor from Harvard, and, and uh, he actually abandoned his ac- ac- academic career to pursue these um, primitive lifestyles. So I've read his manifesto just a little bit, and he mentioned a lot that technology, instead of helping people, it's actually destroying humanities. Um, and the way he solved this, he took it to the extremes, which he killed several people, and he attempted to start a revolution by conducting a nationwide bombing campaign targeting people involved with modern technologies. Um, again, I'm not being endorsed by Netflix, but if you have the time, watch it on Netflix.
1: I, I, I think I started
0: watching that on Netflix myself, but I will do it straight after this. <laughs> cool, cool. So this is probably a broad question, but throughout your lives, throughout your failure and success, what do you think works? And doesn't work. What sort of things that people need to avoid and need to follow?
1: Oh, I won't know until I'm dead. Right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <After>
1: playing around. <laughs> okay. What doesn't work is that negative talk that you have. The in negative
0: thoughts. Yeah, I agree with that.
1: Oh my god! Like if somebody spoke to me like that, I would punch them in the face. But the things that I say to myself, sometimes, mm-hmm. I think, Yeah, not close. Say am it how am i speaking to myself in that way um that would be like the most critical thing because your mind if you don't have mental agility you get it
0: mm.
1: work on your mental health
0: so something that i would like to add on top of your notion there is the idea of enjoying the process instead of focusing on the goals so what i'm trying to say is process is absolute, but the goal is relatives. So not everybody can reach that goal, but because they don't enjoy the process, they becomes really frustrated by it. For instance, when I was younger, several years ago, I was too obsessive, um, very agile. Every time I started something, um, I always focus on the end goal, which is, you know, becoming really famous becoming wealthy, but then again, things didn't turn out the way I wanted to be. And I became really frustrated by it. What do you think?
1: No, I agree with you. I think like, okay, going back to America and the entrepreneurs I'm around, I was around, and there's you know, entrepreneurs here as well. Like, they have a different mindset. Like, mm. they are in it for the long haul.
2: Mm.
1: I think this Insta generation wants everything instantly. Mm-hmm. Don't happen instantly, you need to be patient and you need to enjoy that process of chaos. You're gonna yeah, go through yeah. that. and there's gonna be ups and downs, more downs and ups. Mm-mm. And you've got to take your time with it, you've got to be patient. Like for a startup, it takes two to three years for it to blow up. So then the first day, the second day, and it might not be your first startup, it might not be your first idea. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> but I think that's with anything like, this. like even if you're working on your body or if you're working on some sort of new skill that you're getting, it's not gonna happen overnight. So mm-hmm. work with your mental agility and mental health. So mm-hmm. you're able to work on those areas is really important because it just needs a different framing to frame your mind differently for you to get to that next <laughs> level.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Okay. So apart from that, do you have anything else?
1: No, I'm just really. Doing podcasts.
0: Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, a lot of people say that they're going to do something, but Rahmat, I've got to say you're the only one that actually
0: does things, so that's great. So, when I turned 40s, yes, I'm 40 now, 10 years to go till 50. <laughs> so, I thought to myself that I need to do something not amazing, not great, but at least useful for the society and to myself. So, before 40s, I mean, I used to watch and read all the things that related to Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and all these great entrepreneurs. And, um, and I thought to myself, well, if I work super hard, at least I can get um, perhaps 20% of their achievement. I mean, that's, that was a great lie. I try and try and become frustrated because I couldn't do that. And hence the podcast.
1: Oh. I think it's beyond that, and you should not be frustrated with yourself. So, mm. if you look at Mark Zuckerberg and you look at Steve Jobs, they're like a very small group of people that made it to that billion, multi-billionaire club, mm. right? Yes. But so many others that have made it into the hundred million club. Like, why mm. do we have to reach that end of it? Mm. You can always. Happy, happy. <laughs> I don't want to that one It's I think yeah. it was a but like, you could make 10 million, 1 million, 3 million if it's the money that you're after. Just do something mm-hmm. that you love and just don't say it's the figure, and it will get there. And I think your network is your net worth. So get all of the and get yourself some, <laughs>
0: you some cash, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, 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 still yearning for that startup uh, life.
1: What? What? What?
0: I still yearning for the style life. I mean, right now you, you know, doing the corporate stuff again. Do you one day will want?
1: Able, for, but uh, secretly, you know me. I'm always like one. <laughs> What I want to do, so um, yeah, I'm just like learning again. For me, work and doing new roles, I get to learn free on big clients. Isn't that great? I, mean, I, I see. I
2: know what I'm doing, but, you
1: know, I mean. You get to practice more and try new methodologies and explore. That's that's what I enjoy the most. So why not? And I can use that for other practices, right?
0: Yeah, that's good. That's right.
1: Yeah. So, how did you get into the role? Say again. <laughs> So how did you become a strategy director?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. How did you become a strategy director?
1: Because um, I feel like everything I do has a strategy, no?
0: Mm, that's true. Yeah,
1: it's you. No, I've, got, I mean, true. I've had a building brand, so I think that's what answer to it. But it's just I feel like strategy can encompass so much more now. So if you own the brand, you can even own the product architecture, mm. right?
2: Hmm. Yeah
1: coming from that same role, that mm-hmm. same purpose. Mm-hmm. So I, I can make more of an impact if I come at it from a brand perspective.
0: <laughs> sounds great.
1: I'm, really...
0: I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that sounds really great. Um, so maybe a few last questions. So uh, do you have any advice for aspiring female leaders?
1: Aspiring female leaders? Okay, so I don't think you should aspire to be a female leader. Mm-hmm. You should just aspire to be a great person mm-hmm. who wants to inspire others.
0: Mm-hmm. No, Barack Obama also said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Barack Obama also said that. He wants oh, okay. yeah. yeah, So yeah, go ahead. Like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then you'll be a great leader because you're actually helping people. Mm-hmm. So people just want to be attracted to you. They're not going to be mm-hmm. attracted to you if you're like an awful person, right? So just be purposeful in everything that you do and your interactions with individuals. Make sure you lift people up. Don't pull them down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the thing. Don't be in control. Don't dictate. I'm using a lot of don'ts. So do the opposite of that, obviously. Allow them the freedom. Allow, be a coach. Be a coach. Ask them questions. Allow them to figure out their lives. You're not here to tell how people should be living their lives. You should be inspiring them and just provoking the right questions to make sure that they that they actually they're inquisitive about how they're living like is this the right thing for me what does this mean if I do this like a little bit of a deeper conversation with themselves and you can you can help inspire that I think that's one what was the other question that we had completely lost yeah <laughs> wow. so that
0: yeah so another question is but the next question would be what makes you keep going
1: <gasps> oh god <laughs> Um, I feel that there's always more. I don't know what it is. And mm. It's not about money, it's just I feel there's more to me. Like I have not reached anywhere. I, everything that I've learned, have I really learned anything, is that there, there's definitely 100% more for me to learn. I just want to feel like I've absorbed everything, absorbed the world to reach that level where, and I don't think I ever will. I just want to keep learning.
0: Yeah. Would you like, like to go back, back to... United States.
1: I think I'm 100% down back to the United States. So yeah, I'm still not done with it, Rahmat. Back to chapter. <laughs>
0: back next chapter.
1: <laughs> going back in. I like to go back into places. the right move? Going back to your ex-boyfriend. Going right, okay. Just let me just double check that back in.
0: <laughs> so, the final, final questions. Um, if you were able to meet. The younger Sarah, the 20 years old Sarah, what sort of advice would you give her?
1: Oh my god, yeah, yeah that's a great question. What advice would you give Your Sarah, I was mm-hmm. looking for Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you're pleasing very carefully. It's okay to please others, but mm-hmm. pleasing others that your life unfolds. Something completely different. So learn to say no to the things that don't align with you. Keep it
0: up. Oh that's it. <laughs> yeah. There <Yeah>. yeah.
1: <laughs> We're not here to make other people feel amazing.
0: I see. I see. Oh, that's good. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that's it. Um well, it's uh, really great talking to you and thank you for your time Uh, maybe if you want to do another session with you know this podcast we can talk about anything else
1: Uh, 100% I really appreciate you having me I feel it's been very therapeutic um, and I feel like it's going to be amazing we're just gonna just keep going
0: going. (laughs) yeah hopefully
1: and don't ever forget that you don't need to be Mark Zuckerberg you can be
0: Mark Zuckerberg (laughs)
1: okay
0: i'll keep that in mind and again thank you very much and i'll see you at the next episode yeah